0: One of the most exciting events each New Year's morning is the Tournament of Roses Parade. Anybody ever watch that, Tournament of Roses Parade? You get up early, you can see all these beautiful floats passing down the parade route. and I've been to that parade route as a freshman in high school. We marched in that. It's five miles long, and I just can't tell you what it's like at the end of that parade to go through the, the big fields where they park those, and you get to go through there and just look at all of them close up. It's just a magnificent sight seeing all these wonderful rose floats. And so it, it's a it's a beautiful thing. On one particular New Year's parade, in one, right in the middle of it, a float sputtered to a stop. The engine had run out of gas. And as a result, the entire parade is held up until someone can bring them a can of gas, believe it or not. And what is astonishing is this. The owners of... The float was called Standard Oil Company. Standard Oil Company sponsored that float. They sunk thousands upon thousands of dollars into that beautiful, magnificent float. Then they ran out of gas. A little bit of gas. All that it would have taken just to get through five miles of parade route. So, they can put all their vast resources into oil and business and a magnificent float they sponsored, but couldn't do the maintenance to make sure they could get from point A to point B by performing some just standard maintenance. Living the Christian life requires some standard maintenance, it requires spiritual maintenance. And we've been going through a series of messages. From Matthew chapter 6, we call it the Lord's Prayer. Really, it's the model prayer. It's a model that Jesus gave His disciples when they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so He said, pray in this manner. And He started out, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed is Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then He said this, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. He didn't give them a prayer to recite so much as he gave them a model to follow. That is, there are some things in this model prayer, step by step, verse by verse, which we ought to look into and and establish a stronger prayer life by those things. And so that's why we're going through these one phrase or one verse at a time so that we might strengthen our prayer life. We might understand the great value that we have in prayer. He said, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And I can think of no other aspect of the Christian life where we as followers of Christ neglect to do spiritual maintenance than in this area of sin and temptation and the workings of the devil where we fail to recognize the great importance of Satan being alive and well and working. The Bible says he works even today in the sons of disobedience. That is, people who are disobedient to God, Satan comes and begins to work. He's at work in the life of every unbeliever. And he is at work around those who are believers, the saved. The Bible says that he would even take the elect if God would let him do it, but he cannot do that. He can't take those who are saved. But we neglect the fact that he's at work around us. He continually seeks someone to devour. The Bible says he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy the believer. The good thing is this. Protection coverage is available, amen? But there's also a maintenance agreement that comes with that. The maintenance agreement is this, we must learn how to pray. and We must learn how to pray against those things so that we might avoid those things. We've got to pray for ourselves so that we're not taken in by temptation and not taken in by sin and the influences of the evil one. We need to learn how to pray. We need to know what to pray. We need to know why we're to pray it. So be finding, if you would, James chapter 1. Because in James chapter 1, we find the anatomy of a sin. We find out how it's put together, what it's made of, what the process is. And like every text, it has a context. So let me just, while you're finding James 1, let me give you a little bit of context for James 1. Persecution was now heavily prevalent in and throughout Jerusalem. Because of the testimony of Jesus having been raised from the dead, people were coming against the early church, the early Christians, and they were being put down for their testimony. They were being persecuted for their testimony. We know that people were dying for their testimony, being put to death. And as a result of this harsh persecution, the the people began to disperse. And so he begins talking about the people of the dispersion, the scattered Some translations say they've been scattered away from Jerusalem, not all of them. And those who remained there were being heavily oppressed. Most of them were poor. And they were being oppressed by the wealthy who lived in and about Jerusalem. And so there is rising up in them this desire to retaliate. This desire to stand up, this desire to repay evil with evil, and all of those things that you know when people come against you, what you want to do, how it makes you feel, how you need to have a comeback, how you feel like you have to stand up and do something in return. So this is what was happening. These bad feelings had developed, and they're being tempted in these ways. That's why James starts out in verse 3 of chapter 1, talking about them facing temptations, trials, some translations call it temptations or trials of various kinds. Now, how many of you like the King James Version? Got any King Jamesers out there? Oh, several of you. If you have a King James Bible, it says diverse temptations. Diverse is simply, it means diverse. Various temptations. That's what that word means. That's the way they express that in the King James. The New King James and other translations call them trials. So what one is saying a temptation is, the other one is saying a trial, and you're like, well, which one is it? Is it a temptation? Because we know a temptation is a luring into sin, and a trial is not always that. A trial is going through a tough time. So which one is it? Is it temptation? Is it trial? Well, it depends on the context. While in verse 3 he might write about trials or temptations, when he even gets down to verse 13... He's writing about temptation to sin, which is where we're going to be here in a few moments. So the context is different. In one, it may be like in your King James, a temptation concerning a trial where perseverance is required. And down here in verse 13, temptation is going to be about sin. The Greek word's the same. The Greek word is the word purasmos or purasmon, two forms of the word. It comes from a root word that means this, and think about this to split or to pierce through as with a spear. And You think about a trial and how it pierces you through, how it tears you literally in two and, and pulls you apart. Think about a temptation to sin and how it's a struggle. Certain things are a struggle for you, certain sins, and it just tears you apart. Parasmon can be a trial, it can be a temptation And so I just want to give you a practical definition, not a Webster's definition of temptation. Here's a practical definition of temptation that I want you to have for sake of just your Christian life and especially for this passage we're talking about today. Here it is. A temptation is anything that challenges your virtue. Anything that challenges your holiness. Anything that challenges you, your virtue, your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your walk with Him, that is a temptation. Therefore, even a trial can be a temptation, right? Because trials challenge our virtue. Trials challenge our obedience. Trials challenge our hearts. Sometimes it's by trial that people leave the church. They go through a difficult time. They're pulled away. So a trial can be a temptation, just like a temptation to sin is a temptation. It's anything that challenges the believer's virtue or faith. So whether or not you're facing a temptation or a fiery trial, you need to know that both can challenge your virtue and your faith and your obedience to Christ. And it's very, very important that you learn to pray about that. So this is just titled, Lord, teach us to pray about sin. Or you might say, Lord, teach us to pray about temptation. That's what it's about, increasing your prayer life to include prayers about your weaknesses, your moments of temptation, the things that tend to pull you away or challenge your virtue in the Lord. So now let's just start, and I'm just going to go verse by verse, so you keep your Bibles open with me if you would, or follow along on the screen if you need to. James chapter 1 verse 13, he says, Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Now what are we talking about? A trial or temptation to sin? It's sin. Let no one say when he's being tempted to sin that he's being tempted by God. God cannot tempt anyone by evil. He's not tempted by evil. He won't tempt anyone with evil. So notice James doesn't say, if you are tempted... Or, hey, just in case you're tempted, I mean, you might be tempted. He doesn't say that, does he? No, he he gets right down to it. He says, when you are tempted, look to the person beside you and say, you're going to be tempted. You are going to be tempted. It's a given fact. It's as sure as taxes. Amen? You're going to be tempted. So here's one thing I want you to know. If you're a note taker, write this point down. There's not a moment in our lives when temptation isn't a possibility. There's not a moment. You say, Well, I'm usually not tempted on Monday. Oh, yes, you will be. Come tomorrow. Just get ready. Sin is always a possibility because life itself consists of endless choices that are pertaining to obedience and disobedience, belief or unbelief. It never ends. Temptation to sin is always a possibility. It was true for Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, the Bible tells us something. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The fact that God, by His Spirit, led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted, yet He does not tempt anyone with evil. He Himself doesn't. We have to struggle with that a little bit, don't we? We're like, okay... He didn't do it, but he allowed it to happen. The Bible says our faith will be tested. Jesus' faith was tested. Who he was, his deity was tested. He was led up by the Spirit to go into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I couple that, though, with a passage that speaks greatly about the sovereignty of God. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 24. Let me just quote it for you. It says, Our steps are ordered by the Lord. He fashions our steps. And I think, I know I can see in my life times when I wanted to go this direction, but for some reason, even beyond my control, it seemed that my steps went this way instead. And I just kind of happened to go that way. I thought, no, God ordered my steps in that direction because I couldn't see something He could see. And God sometimes protects us like that. Our steps are ordered by the Lord, but then I think the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted? Well, I can only conclude two things by this, and that's what I want to point out right quick. First of all, that while God does not tempt us to sin, He allows us to be in places and to be in situations where temptations are sure to test us. Temptations will be present. We have to conclude that, I believe. Furthermore, secondly, if Jesus had to fight off the temptations of the evil one over a 40-day period of time, we have to assume that we too will go through seasons of our life in which we will have to fight off temptations from the evil one. We are his disciples. He is after us. We're going to have to fight. I think we're far, far too passive, are we not? We've got to fight. So let me ask you this. Is it part of your prayer life to pray for protection against temptation? To pray for the boldness and the stamina to stay away from sin and not be pulled in through temptation? To pray for the strength to endure temptations when they come? Is that part of your prayer life? Jesus said we should pray to the Father about that. Oh, when did He say that? When they said, teach us to pray. And He said, and pray therefore in this manner. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Remember the guy in the Old Testament named Jabez? Who all bought the little Jabez book years ago? Yeah, a few of you did. Who all studied that in some manner? Come on, don't be bashful. Jabez. I mean, it's like the Jabez was the fad. Jabez was a fad several thousand years after his time, wasn't he? He'd be proud to know that. And everybody was studying this prayer of Jabez about the blessing of God. It was a good thing. He said, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil. He prayed that. King David prayed in Psalm 141 verse 4, Don't let my heart incline to any evil, to busy myself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity. Really what he's saying there is, Lord, don't let me get busy doing the wrong things, the evil things, sliding into wrong, sinful things. And, and by the way, Lord, keep me from the crowd that's doing those things. Help me to run with the right crowd. David prayed about that. Help me to run with the right folks. What they knew, I believe, is this, that there's not a moment in our lives when temptation isn't a possibility Therefore, we need to be prayed up. We need to remain on guard. Now let's go on to the second point, and that is this. We need to see the anatomy of a sin. There are some notable steps that lead towards sin. Look at verse 14. He said, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. This might be a good sub-point if you're a note-taker. Sin is never by accident. I didn't mean to do it. It just happened. I didn't. Mean... Sinfulness is not by accident. Sin is a choice. We choose to sin. Jesus saves us. He puts His Holy Spirit in our heart. The Spirit guides us into all truth. The Spirit will never guide you to do wrong. Just, man, just put that in a, with a bold marker somewhere. The Holy Spirit will never guide me to do wrong. He will never guide me to sin. He will not do that. Well, he caused me to love her, and she loves me. It must be of God. Baloney. Not if she's not a believer, because the Bible says we're not to be yoked with unbelievers. So, don't be chasing after someone who doesn't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who doesn't have the Holy Spirit within. The Spirit will not guide you to do that. What we call that missionary dating. I mean, I'm just dating him to save him. Get him saved. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Tell me how that works for you. All right. Get back with me on that. There are some notable steps to sin. It's never by accident. We commit sin because we take steps leading to sin. And here's the first step. Let me give you four of them. The first step towards sin is called courtship. He says we become drawn away. It's It's a fishing term referring to catching fish by use of a lure. So a lot of you guys like to fish. You know there are different kinds of lure to catch different type, types of fish. And on one day, the lure may not work. The fish doesn't go after it. But on another day, or, or just moments later, you, you change lures. You, you get a lure that dives deeper. You get a lure that has a different action to it. And it has a different kind of wiggle, a different kind of jig. And you pop it a few times, and man, that bass goes after it and he's got it, and you said, now I'm onto the right color, I'm onto the right kind of lure. The lure is working, and it drew that fish to it. The fish takes the hook. It goes after it. It gobbles it up, and it does it quickly. Sin is like that. Sin will dance in front of you like a lure is dancing in front of you. It's a lure. That's what it is. And, and having bait, listen, having bait dangled in front of you is not a sin unless you keep going to where the bait is. You know what I'm saying? If you struggle with alcohol, but you're going to the boot scoot and boogie joint that serves alcohol, your fault. Your fault. You keep going where the bait is, it's being dangled. It just comes to me. No, you're going to it. Am I touching a nerve this morning? Y'all are quiet. Are you going to throw me out? I'm an interim. You know, you have to get another one. Right now? He'd probably be meaner. That lure is going to dance and all that in front of you? Don't go to the bait. But if bait comes before you, that is not a sin that you saw that. But that is the beginning of the process if the birthing of sin starts with the dangle of the lure. It's right in front of you. To dwell on that and to entertain the idea of that, that's how it all begins. And so that is the starting place. So you don't ever want to say, well, I haven't sinned. I haven't done anything wrong yet. And you're still looking. No, that's the beginning of a sin. And you're going to see that here in a moment. So you don't want to dwell on that. Adrian Rogers said this, forget the bait, look for the hook. You see that lure dangling in front of you? Forget that, look for the hook. We fish sometimes and we say, well, they won't take my bait. They're seeing the hook. When the fish knows it's a hook, he doesn't go for the bait. So what we have there is the courtship. Then there's the consent. Like a prostitute walking down the sidewalk of a busy street at night nears an intersection, a man has stopped his car at the red light, waiting on it to turn green, and she's prancing around near his car. She's trying to lure him in. And he begins in his mind to court the idea of, well, my wife's out of town. Maybe she's not even married. Well, I'm not married. No harm done. Eh, kind of risky. Um, by the way, very risky, okay? Kind of risky and... um She's prancing around, she's luring, and he's courting this idea of a sexual encounter that won't affect anybody but himself. He'll only know, no one else involved, just a a moment of a sexual encounter with this prostitute. He's dancing around with this idea in his head, courting the idea, and then he gives in because he has dwelt on it, and it doesn't take long. It's before the green light even comes. He's already made up in his mind. When it turns green, I'll pull over. I'll just talk to her. See, it's just advancing, isn't it? And he gives in, and he is hooked now. He is committed to it. He is hooked. By the way, that's why they call prostitutes what? Hookers. Hookers. They're luring you in. And there are male prostitutes too, by the way. They're, they're luring. They're wanting to hook you in so they can have your money. So first in the courtship is the courtship to sin. And then there's the consent where you give in. You consent to it. And then there's the conception of sin. Verse 15 says this in James chapter 1. Then when desire, that is the lust on the inside of our heart and mind, when the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. So the lure gets dangled before us, we dwell on the bait, then we consent to it, the hook is set, we are now caught in sin, and you think, well, that's the end of it, what a bad thing. No, that's not the end of it, okay? The sin, the act of the sin, is not the end of it, it never is the end of it. I know how we gotta grow and we gotta mature in our faith and realize. My act of that is not the end of it. It really is never just about me either. It is about those around you. It is about your family. It is about your church family. It becomes about everyone that you come into contact with, even those you will come into contact with down the road in the future. And I don't have time and a message to go into all of that stuff, but let me tell you, you will answer for the sins of today way past today. I I wish I could take our young people and say, listen to me. I'm still answering today for sins I committed 30 years ago. I had to write down some of them when I felt the Lord calling me to go into ministry. To check into the seminary. Write down your sins. Do I want to do that? Who do they think they are? And then I took my pen and I wrote down every one of them I could think of. I'm just kind of that way. I'm just going to be honest. I wrote them down. They had to look at them. They had to decide, do I have a worthy call from God? Am I a servant of the Lord? Am I worthy to be part of their seminary? I'm just telling you, it's not just about being called to preach. You will answer for today's sins way down the road. It's never about the act itself. It's not alone about that. It's well past that because there is the completion of sin. It goes beyond the act. That's to say sin will become bigger than it began. It doesn't just happen and then it's gone. It's never finished without it having the last say. A spiritual death will take place on the inside. Job chapter 20, verse 4. In Job, the Bible says, Do you not know this from old? That means from long ago. Since the time man was placed on the earth, that the triumphing of the wicked is but a short time. And the joy of the hypocrite, it lasts just for a brief moment. The triumphing and the joy of sin is so short-lived. The man was dropping beans on the ground as he walked down the road. and He had some pigs following behind him. They were eating up all those beans. And another fellow stopped, and he looked at the pig farmer, and he said, now that's kind of a strange way to feed your pigs. The man replied, I'm not feeding them. I'm leading them to the slaughterhouse. R.G. Lee, he used to say this, you can nibble on the devil's corn, but he's going to choke you on the cob. You can nibble for a season... But there's coming a time there will be the completion of sin and you're going to pay for that sin dearly. Here's the good news, all right? Let's get to the good news now. Here's your third point. There are weapons for fighting against temptation. In fact, there are numerous weapons. I mean, the Scripture talks about holding every thought captive that exalts itself against the name of Christ. The Scripture talks about that. But I want to generalize here and, and, and keep it a little bit broad instead of trying to get so specific and go on and on and on. First of all, in the context of our series and in the context of what Jesus was teaching His disciples when He was teaching them how to pray in this model prayer, your first weapon then is to pray seriously about temptations and pray seriously through trials. You need to pray seriously about those things. See, we all pray. I imagine we all pray. Do we pray seriously? Do we get in depth in our praying? Praying seriously about the things that tempt you most. By doing that, you're recognizing your weakness. You are recognizing His strength and that you need His strength to overcome your weakness. That you are available and ready and willing to give up in your own strength to to receive His strength and His might and His power. In other words, you're inviting the Holy Spirit to work in your life and be in charge. That's what you're praying when you're praying about things that tempt you. You're asking God for the strength to fight against it. Jesus was in serious prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night that He was betrayed and taken captive and then led to the cross. He was was sweating drops of blood. We talked about that back at Easter, didn't we? He was sweating drops of blood. He was praying. He had this weight on his shoulder. He was being tempted in every way not to be obedient to the Father. He said, Lord, if there's any way that you can let this cup pass from me, then then let it happen. But nevertheless, your will, not my will. He was submitting to the Father. He was praying. In fact, he asked the disciples to pray, didn't he? And what were they doing? Sleeping. And Jesus walked away from that. He said, can you not pray with me for an hour? And he said, The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Did you know our flesh is weak? It is so weak. We need to pray for his strength. He prayed serious prayers in the garden so that he might overcome that human part and fulfill his God-given purpose. So number one, pray seriously about those things. Don't just let them pass by you. Don't be passive. Pray seriously. Number two... You can fight against temptation and sin by standing on the Word. When Jesus was led into the wilderness and He had to fight against the evil one who was coming and tempting Him with everything, He fought against Satan by using the truth of God. He said, man shall not live by bread alone. Why did He say that? Because He was hungry. Forty days out there, no food, He was hungry. He was being tempted And he said, man doesn't live by bread alone. Jesus was saying, I might be hungry, but that's not the biggest thing I need. That's not all that I need. He said, I need the truth of God. And he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When you stand on the things that you've learned from God's Word, you are adding strength to your life. The Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and imparts the Word of God to your heart, guides you in the truth of the Word of God, strengthens your life in the Word of God, and makes you an overcomer by the Spirit of God. Stand on the Word. Stand on the things that you know. I love some of the songs that we sang today. One thing you know when you go through a trial or temptation is God loves you. He is not leaving you. He has not left you. But it's a perfect time for you to run to Him. Stand on the Word of God. The last I would say, a a mighty tool that God has given, not just prayer, not just the Word, but boy, I would put those two at the very top, but another thing He has given that is powerful in the life of a believer when it comes to fighting against the enemy, fighting against temptation, fighting against sins, fighting against temptation so it doesn't get to the, to the conception part and to the birthing part of sin. What He's given us is the church. The church, you, each of us. Everybody look over on this far aisle over here. Everybody look, look at them. They look good, don't they? Y'all looking good. They're here for you to bring strength to your life. Everybody look at this section. Brother Gerald's, Gerald's section right here. We're going to get them to move down to the front. Some of y'all got that message two Sunday nights ago before I left town after I told y'all you all you need to move down. front, We're going to get this section down closer to the front. This one's trying. They're trying. Okay, we're going to get this. They're here for y'all. They're here for y'all. Y'all got to be here for everybody. God has brought the church together. The body of Christ is a powerful tool against the enemy in your life when you commit yourself to the assembling of the saints together. It is powerful. You say, "Well, we just we just like come once a month." We know. <laughs> we know. You're being challenged in so many ways. We know that too. Get to the church house. Amen. Get to Bible study. Get in that small group. You're going to grow. Your life's going to be strengthened. When you go through a challenge, you're going to call somebody or they might just call you. And I'm going to tell you, that's the way the body of Christ works. God works through His church. When this church is committed, He said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Why? It's not because you just ought to be here. He said, be here, be strongly connected. And you need to be strongly connected because these are the people of God. And God uses His place of worship, His people of worship, the body of Christ. When you stay connected to the body, you grow and you're stronger. Hey, Brother Pete, come on up here. Help me out with a little illustration. Y'all give it up for Brother Pete, all right? I could have called on one of y'all, right? Just hold those for me now, don't eat those. You stand right there, okay? When you commit, and let me tell you how it works in a Baptist church, just because Baptists aren't just like every other denomination. When you make a strong commitment through formal membership to a Baptist church, you are saying, I am one of you, and you're one of me. It's a strong connection. It's a spiritual connection that begins to take place. You begin to become a vital part. You begin to worship there. You begin to serve. You begin to be known there. Those people become your friends. That small group becomes your friends. Now, Pete, I said, don't eat them. Is that good? Let me tell you what happened there. What do they call... The bananas together like this. They call them a bunch. This is a bunch of bananas. Which ones get eaten? The ones that get pulled away from the bunch. This one's going to get eaten. Nobody eats all these together. They pull them off. You peel them. You eat them. The only ones that get eaten are pulled away from the bunch first. You will get eaten alive by the enemy if he can pull you away from the body of Christ. When you are pulled away from the body of Christ, you are so vulnerable to sin, vulnerable to temptation and sin. And I know what we think. We think, oh, it's, no, it's, I'm strong. I got this, Brother Crispin. I'm strong. I got this. You don't know me. I've been in the Word. I've been praying. I've got this. He said, Be part of the body of Christ. That's what Jesus said. This is the church. He said, It's my body. It's a church. We are members one of another, he said. And every member has a manifest presence of the Holy Spirit in them to various degrees of manifestation to, with a spiritual gift to bring something to that body. Some are like hands, fingers, some are eyes. They see spiritually things that others don't see. Some are like ears. They they listen to the voice of God. They can hear and know what God is saying. Some are like feet. They run with the gospel of peace. I mean, everybody has something of value to bring. And when that person's gone, what does the Bible say? There is a weakness. But I'm telling you, the same is true. When I'm disconnected from the body of Christ, that in and of itself is a weakness. Don't do it. You have tools, the body of Christ, standing on the word of God, and in prayer. That's where you hold every thought captive. Lord, I feel this drawing away to go do this. I don't think I need to do that, but I'm having trouble telling the people no. The last time I was there, it ended up up hurting my relationship with Christ. I don't want to do that. Give me the strength to tell them no this time. That's where you hold those thoughts captive that exalt themselves against the name of Christ. You have notable tools to fight against the notable steps leading to sin. And there's never a time when sin is not going to be a possibility. So buckle up. Put on the armor of God. Stay in the Word and make prayer about temptation a priority in your life.